Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I am so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show. Thank you for coming out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest-running queer improv shows in New York City. During the show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And this episode is different because we are still recording during the COVID-19 pandemic while distancing, which means we are not in our studio using our professional audio equipment. So the sound might be a little bit different than what you're used to, but we're all doing the best we can with what we have. And I am just so tickled about the guest that I have here with me today. Feels weird to even call her a guest because she is a friend, but also a guest and also a colleague. Emily Saltzman, she, her, is a queer, fat, tomboy femme, white Ashkenazi Jew with a Midwest heart and a New York attitude. She has worked as an organizer, trainer, and social worker for over a decade. Her commitment to social justice began as a teen advocating for comprehensive sexuality education in the Minneapolis suburbs and was solidified when she moved to New York City to serve as an Avodah Corps member in 2008. Emily received a BA from Lawrence University with a concentration in gender studies and psychology. She later received an MSW from Hunter College in New York City, where she concentrated her studies in community organizing, planning, and development. While in NYC, Emily held positions at Gay Men's Health Crisis, Queers for Economic Justice, Planned Parenthood of NYC, the Undoing Racism Internship Project, the Jewish Social Justice Roundtable, and Partnership with Children. She currently lives in South Minneapolis with her partner, Jen, where she is often tending her plants, making glass art, singing karaoke, or joyously cooking in the style of the Muppet Swedish chef, except the Bubby version. Emily, hello. Welcome. Wowie wow. I'm so excited to be here. It's so special. This is so special. Truly. I'm, I've been wanting to have this conversation with you for quite some time, and I am so thrilled that it's happening. Yes, I remember when we first started working together and I had on a work trip in New York and you're like, you should come to thank you, thank you for coming out. And I was like, it is too late. I'm a grandma. I won't be <laughs> able to stay up in order to be attended this thing. So I'm so glad that we were able to make this happen. Yes, me too. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you uh, who don't know, thank you for coming out. Historically has been at 1030 at night on a Monday, <laughs> which sure. is like, truly, I can't think of a worse time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for some people, it's probably the exact right time. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And it also allowed for people who are on Broadway to be part of it because Monday sure. is dark. Um, oh, so important. Yeah. How the heck are you? Gosh. Well, I mean, I'm Okay you know, doing, doing the best that I can. I'm actively like by myself in my apartment for the longest time since the beginning of the pandemic. Mm. My partner is away on a research trip in Iceland for a few weeks. So um, I get to um, sing to myself, which Mm. I probably would normally do. Um, But it's a very interesting experience to be alone after being 24 seven with Jen. Yeah. Um, quite the shift. 
Yeah. Yeah. What do you sing to yourself when you're singing to yourself? Well, I've been singing a lot of George Michael. Mm. I'm a big fan of George Michael. Love have a it. lot, have a lot of, have a lot of love for that complicated character. Um, and gosh, I don't know. I've been listening to all those Spotify lists that like top eighties, yeah. top seventies mm-hmm. and like, and then also like nineties rock anthems. So like Ooh. really kind of gearing up for my karaoke return. Yes. Um, because it has been quite some time and I need to kind of get, get myself ready to be out in the world again with my <laughs> exciting karaoke skills. Oh my God. I, in the, I've known you like three and a half years or something. Have we done karaoke mm. together? I don't think so. That's so rude. It's upsetting. I know. And you know, when I was living in New York, I like love that you can rent a booth that it's mm-hmm. just like you and your friends in a room and la la la. And then when I moved to Minneapolis, it's all public. Mm. Like, so you're at a bar or like a VFW and you're singing in front of everyone in the bar. And you're like, yeah. um, you're not going to get the funny references that <laughs> I make. Uh, and I'm a little nervous because I'm actually not that good. Um, but I do really miss when I was living in Brooklyn, my friends and I would go to Brandon Saloon in um prospect heights every i think mm-hmm. thursday night for queer karaoke and it was just like all of our friends practicing it was like a thing where we would you know tune up we would get ready we would have fun and i just i really miss that also i was younger and could go out at like 10 p.m on a thursday and not be like dead the next oh morning God. work I, I miss those days so deeply <laughs> I um i I know everything happens for a reason, mm-hmm. but I deeply am so sad that we missed each other in New York. I know. Because we met when you were already in Minneapolis yeah. in Keshet. And yeah. I just think that we would have had so much fucking fun. I would have been at that karaoke night every Thursday with you <laughs> and we would have, we would like tear down the house. Yeah. What's your karaoke go-to songs? Oh, I love singing Bitch by Meredith Brooks. Oh my God. And you know, it's, it's actually like, I'm here's, so here's the thing like that. I love singing the Dixie Chicks, Mm -hmm. um, Eminem. I can whip (laughs) out some Eminem, like nobody's business. Salt and Peppa. Oh, love Salt and Peppa. Mm -hmm. Um, but the thing is, is my voice, since my voice is dropping, I, I need to go into some voice lessons because I cannot keep a Mm -hmm. pitch for the life of me. I can't Mm -hmm. figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually like very sad that my karaoke experience is yeah. going to be very different. I'm going to have to find new go-tos that are good for my range. Oh, totally. Yeah. That makes so much sense. I also didn't realize that there were certain songs that certain voices should sing and not mm. sing. So I was just <laughs> like, I'm just terrible at singing. I mean, I'm okay. I'm not like the best. My mom isn't a, is a very good singer. And so I was also kind of told as a kid that like, oh, your mom has that gift, but mm. that's not for you. <laughs> that should transfer down to you. Um, but yeah, I've been, I've been trying to figure out like which songs work for my register because I don't even know what I am. Like what yeah. is soprano? What is alto? I have yeah. many. I went to a, a, a undergrad with a musical conservatory. So I have many musical friends and vocalist friends that could very well tell me, but I just, I'm just going to keep it a mystery. Like I'll never know what my range <laughs> actually is. What, what are your go-tos? 
Oh, well, my number one is Stay by Lisa Loeb. Oh, such a good one. Oh, I mean, you have to really figure out when in the karaoke lineup it's right because it's kind of a downer. You yeah, know, you don't want it's not like the first song you think you sing. Yeah. Um, but I also love Black Hole Sun mm, by Soundgarden. Yeah. Um, Jen and I have been doing that as a duet um, before, which is super fun. That's amazing. Um, and then also um i think what is the other one that i've been doing i have like a note in my phone that i like keep so i don't forget because you know when you show up at the karaoke place with the book and you're like ah but you have it's like so overwhelming but um i also love singing criminal by fiona apple that's a good one um i too have a note in my phone ah um because you're right it gets very overwhelming very Mm -hmm. quickly and it's like i just why don't i just go to my Mm go-to's um so dibs on karaoke with you the next time I see you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we totally should go. I'm That's so wild that we haven't done that. God, I know. I, I recently, when I interviewed for this new job, somebody in the interview process, I was asking like, oh, do people connect? What's the, so like, are people friends outside of work? Kind of mm-hmm. what's the culture around that? Yeah. And someone was like, well, yeah, you know, we, we've been hang we hang out sometimes and I have a karaoke room in my house. Shush. So people come over uh. and I was like, please <laughs> let me get this job <laughs> so I can go to the karaoke room in your house. So I'm, I'm very excited and I did get the job. So I get yes. to go to this karaoke room. Yes. A bittersweet moment in my life. We'll talk, we can talk more about that later, but um, goals, karaoke yeah. room in house. Honestly, oh my God. Honestly. Yes. I was like, okay, that's what you use a basement for. Obviously. Obviously. How did that never occur to me? No, I mean, set it all up. You got a backdrop. You have the the setup with the lyrics and special mic i mean wow you know it's probably not that extensive either as long as you have you know the right stuff yeah anyway so future future goals future goals the right stuff by Mm -hmm. nkotb write that down (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly (laughs) um Okay, so we all have multiple coming out stories, multiple coming into ourselves stories, and I would be honored and it would be such a privilege to hear one of yours. Oh, sure. Um, I, I actually love telling this story because it feels intergenerational and sweet and learning from younger people. So I grew up in in Minneapolis and um, went to college in Wisconsin. And so when I was in college, the summer between my junior year and senior year, I had a summer internship at this organization called, at the time it was called GSA for Safe Schools, and now it's called GSAFE. It was formerly like a chapter of GLSEN, the um, educator lgbt educators support organization um and they had this really awesome summer leadership training institute is what they called it lti for leaders in for high school leaders of gsas so um at the time it was like gay straight alliances but now it's gender and sexuality alliances and it brought together leaders of GSAs from all over south central wisconsin and it was a week weekend long retreat of um, 
like professional development, like how to run a meeting and uh, facilitation and other professional development skills, in addition to some affinity-based caucusing for students who didn't know each other at all um, across the state to get to know each other, and just really having a community building. And at the time, this was in 2006, I believe, um, it was still pretty under the radar. So the permission slips didn't really include that this was an LGBTQ leadership event. It was for professional development and student leaders. And because they knew that if parents knew exactly what was going on, they might not allow their student, their children to attend. So it was a really, really special place. And um, the, I was involved in making this happen. So helping the leadership put together this event and facilitating some of the workshops and just being an adult ally mentor is what my role was. So like mm. having a little group um, or the little um, affinity space for my little homeroom or like bunk kind of thing. And there was a senior uh, in the involved who I just really connected with. So she also was like a half Jewish, like chubby femme, excited, like really open-minded young person who had this like really loving relationship with her girlfriend who also was like more masculine of center. And I was like, what you can have this, like you Mm. can have this kind of thing. And I was uh, almost a senior in college and she was a senior in high school and just really seeing a young person be clear about who they were unafraid of being who they were and having a really loving relationship. And I just remember seeing her and being so inspired by that. And just a note about how language changes at that time, we didn't use the word queer as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we definitely used it, but there were other, there was other language before pansexual became more popularized. So at that time, folks, young people were using the term person specific So, oh, I'm person specific, like meaning I'm Mm. interested in you and not necessarily like the gender, like I'm attracted to you. And that is more closely related to when we say pansexual today. And so I was part of this like pansexual, like, sorry, uh, person specific group and just being able to see this relationship unfold in front of me was just so powerful. And I remember going back to, um, college and this was the early days of Facebook and so you couldn't really do anything on Facebook except have your profile Mm. and there was the option to say interested in men or women clearly like very binaric um, at the time and Mm. I remember like very quietly like clicking like the women box too and Mm. then noticing and then my friend Mike immediately messaged me and is like, Hey, does something change over the summer? (laughs) "Ah!" And then I immediately unchecked it and it was like, Mm. no, everything's fine. Bye. And then (laughs) like two years later, he came out to me and was in a, like a very long-term secret relationship with one of our friends in college. And so it was like, he was sending out this like lifeline to say, Hey, I see you. Maybe I can tell you about me. And I was like too afraid 
to do it at the time. Because I think when I was in college and in high school, I was very involved in LGBTQ student organizing as an ally. I was like at all the meetings. I was, you know, went to Pride all the time. I was very active and I felt like, oh, well, everybody knows me as an ally. And so it feels like inauthentic to say, oh, I'm gay now or Mm. like I'm queer now. And so it took me a while from that moment to more publicly share that information about me. Um, But it was just like a powerful moment to be around those young people and they're unapologetic and knowing that there's, we learn so much from the younger generation that it gives us space to be true to ourselves. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I have so many things that I want to talk about that you mentioned, but I think the first one um, was building off what you were just saying about how, how much young people, how much wisdom they have, how inspiring they are. And I'm sure I know you've heard this story before because I talk about it a lot, especially at work that like going to the, the weekend retreats with our LGBTQ Mm -hmm. teens, Mm -hmm. um, uh, LGBTQ and ally teens, Mm -hmm. um, was life-changing for me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I was supposed to be there as an adult. I was there as an adult, but like Mm -hmm. as staff, but I was in tears the entire time. I couldn't function Mm -hmm. because it was so inspiring and so overwhelming in such a good way to see these teenagers unapologetically, um, to use your words, like unafraid of who they were, being who they were mm-hmm. in this way of like, I am here and mm-hmm. you need to see me and respect me. And I was like, I need to be that. Hell yeah. And it's just, it was, that is just, uh, it's so amazing how kids, ki- kids, I don't know if that's the right thing to say. Young people. <laughs> Youth, young, the young days. people of today. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you still in touch with that person? You know, I am, um, we overlapped a bit, actually. She maybe went to college in Boston or like moved to Boston. And so when I was living in New York, I ran into her a few times when I was visiting friends in Boston. Um, we're friends on Facebook, which, you know, what does that even mean? Right. Um, but so we're, you know, peripherally like connected, major updates and stuff. And I feel like I have shared this information with her mm. um, before, but maybe felt like more awkward at the time to say it. Um, yeah. But I mean, it was, it was incredibly important, you know, just mm-hmm. to see this young person like reflecting a lot of the identities that I held um, in that moment. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And you, you said it so perfectly, like what you, you can have this. Mm-hmm. is like such an important moment of visibility. And you, you had mentioned to me that this is your ring of keys moment too, of this mm-hmm. like moment of uh, recognition and visibility, but also consent. Mm-hmm. Of like, oh, I didn't even know I could do this mm-hmm. or have access to this mm-hmm. being or living. Mm-hmm. So important. Totally. Yeah. And I think when I, when I think about um, sort of sexual orientation and sometimes the, the traditional is the wrong word, but sometimes the stories that we see more mm-hmm. about, especially um, folks who identify as women or folks who are assigned female at birth and coming into their um, 
gay, queer, or lesbian identity, there's a lot of like crushes on best friends or yeah. like crush on your teacher or not really. And that wasn't my story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I didn't know that there were different types of ways to express your gender that was like, girls like look like this boys look like this and I always had crushes on boys but if you look back at the celebrities that I had crushes on it's like they're kind of baby dykes you know like 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 Devin Sawa number one Leonardo DiCaprio um like all these like blonde bowl cuts like Nick Carter from the Backstreet (laughs) Boys you know just like very seriously like 90s I was like huh what is that about and I didn't quite like reconcile that until I went to a traveling show when I was living in Iowa for a year after college um from this trans performer who was doing I think it was like I forget the name of the show it was like um something it was about his experience in like debutante balls in the south Mm. and um his performance and I was like very like you are a very attractive person and like I am really interested in like everything that you're saying and I feel very drawn to your story. And I was just not exposed to different types of gender expressions. And he also had a tattoo from Hedwig, like the, the half face, like the, and so I was like, this person is amazing. And then lo and behold, that is Scott Turner Schofield, who was like one of the most famous um, trans actors um, now. And I got to see him at the beginning when he was a performer performing in queer spaces. And so he was also a big part of like my coming out to myself and understanding like my own sexual orientation, um, just to know that there's different ways to express your gender. Yeah. It's really important. It's like this this theme keeps popping up in episodes, especially lately, of um just not being a- aware, but also mm-hmm. one one almost like has to be in the mindset of being open to being aware mm-hmm. to even be able to receive those mm-hmm. messages, those signals. Mm-hmm. Um and I just wish that for all people to be able to live in a way that's authentic for them and not what's prescribed to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, are you, I forget, did you watch Broad City? Are you a Broad City yeah. person? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I just interviewed Elliot Glazer and our episode just dropped Love in. Elliot Glazer. Love Elliot Glazer. It gets better if saw you <laughs> from the beginning. <laughs> yes. But so we were talking about um, kind of like how Broad City and almost like in a revolutionary way normalizes queerness mm-hmm. and like thinking about how in none of the, none of their experiences that we're seeing are this like big coming out moment. It's just mm-hmm. part of who they are and mm-hmm. specifically Abby's when mm-hmm. it had never been on her radar before. Mm-hmm. And then she's in the hospital and she like is all like attracted to the, do- the doctor who's a woman mm-hmm. and like gets a tickle in her tummy. And instead of like, shutting that down and being like, well, mm-hmm. I never was this before, so it can't be true now. Right. was right. open to exploring it. And that to me, I think is probably a ring of keys moment for a lot of people of like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I also felt that way. But I, and, and, it, and also just tie it back to you that um, 
how you identified so strongly as an ally. And it's like, well, everyone knows me as this. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't feel authentic to then actually assert who I am. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true for a lot of people and a lot Mm -hmm. of different combinations of Mm -hmm. identities. Mm -hmm. Totally. And as I reflect on it too, I mean, I would never say that to someone now, you know, like we talk in, in our work, when we work together, we Mm -hmm. present on these conversations all the time Mm -hmm. and making sure that the adults that we work with understand that sexual orientation is fluid. It can change at any moment. Like there's different, different um, opportunities that elicit different experiences. And so I, but at the time, I just remember feeling so afraid, like that I was doing it wrong or I wasn't like gay enough or queer enough, or I hadn't like the, the equating sexual behavior to authenticity Mm-hmm. It's like such a challenging space because oftentimes like the question is like, well, how do you know you're gay? Have you had like sex with a woman? It's like, I'm a kid, you know, like, right, of course right. I don't know that, yeah, you right. know, like, how do I know that I'm attracted to this type of person? Like you just kind of know. Um, so I, when you're a young person, it's just so that everything feels so extreme mm-hmm. and that anything could just destroy your reputation or there's just so much fear and that really resonates with me and my own story. And so trying to create opportunities to really understand that experience for folks of all ages. Absolutely. Um, This actually just came up in a conversation I had yesterday too. Um, And it's just, I love that we're talking about, about how everything is fluid (laughs) and like Mm -hmm. that we need to get out of the static mindset and to really embrace the fact that things shift can shift. If we let them, Mm -hmm. they won't, they won't always shift, Mm -hmm. but it's very possible that they might. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So I, as I was reading your bio, I, um, something stuck out to me, a few things stuck out to me. So the first, the first thing that I want to talk with you about is this what I what I think that a lot of people think is a, like a a juxtaposition of being a tomboy and a femme mm, mm-hmm. because for those of you I don't know so I guess before I I'm not gonna stop tell tell me what that means to you that's great I um that is a phrasing that I started using mm, probably I don't know six or eight years ago or so um I feel like we, in addition to talking about, like, sometimes we feel like sexual orientation is rigid, you know, like their gender expression sometimes feels rigid. And in communities where you have a lot of LGBTQ people, sometimes it's easy to be like, okay, those are femmes, those are butches. And then there's like a non-binary gender fluid. There's like high femme, there's soft, but there's all this language. And I, I remember being, because I wasn't butch being automatically lumped into femme identity. Mm. Um, so dating people that were more masculine of center, I've, dated folks all across the gender identity spectrum, but often date people more on the masculine of center side. And um, the assumption is that, oh, well, if you're not that, then you're this. Right. And um, that's just not 
true. And, um, I like that uh, behaviors also come along with your gender expression that like, if you're femme identified, then that means that you're not like tough or that you don't like aren't handy or something, which is not true at all. But there's sometimes this assumption and sometimes people feel really into that, that like, oh yeah, like I'm a little bit more hands-off or like I, I like other things that are included in like femme identity. Um, and so for me, Tom, I, I feel like tomboy has been a part of my life as a young person in like the behaviors that I choose to do, the things that I take on. Um, and also like, I love the, I sometimes dress like more masculine center or tomboyish. Um, but I also wear a lot of femme things or like earrings or hair, you know? And so I think the, the combination feels authentic to me. And um, I, I think there's also like, I don't know, this is kind of a strange association, but growing up in the Midwest, there's also a different kind of femininity. Like there's an expectation that um, it snows a ton here. You are going to have to shovel your own, <laughs> like you're going to have to shovel your own driveway. You have to clean off your own car. You might have to change your tire, check your oil. And that is like standard practice for like a, like a lot of young girls are taught to do that because we're living in a very intense winter climate. And so there are things that you just learn to do that are more handy or maybe more considered more masculine or considered things that like men would do, but women do them. Like there's this strong women vibe uh, that comes from growing up in the Midwest. And I felt like that was sort of lost. Um, when I was lumped into this very stereotypically, um, very stereotypic category of like femme that like, oh, you're a pillow princess if you're femme or like you, you know, and, and that is by no means the case, but that sometimes would show up in, in queer spaces that there was an assumption of that. Um, and also I think this, like when we're thinking about gender non-conforming or non-binary, there is an assumption that um, it's also kind of static sometimes that mm-hmm. like, oh, the way that you're expressing your gender is always different than your sex assigned at birth. And that when I think about gender, non, I feel a little gender non-conforming in that way too, because all the time, like in the winter, I'm like way more masculine in my presentation and then in the summer just because it's just really uncomfortable (laughs) that I'm more feminine so but those labels aren't necessarily for me so I feel like tomboy femme is like a more is like a playful way to describe that does that make sense that makes all the sense I love I love that and I think there's so much one of the first things you said is the assumption is that if you're not this, then you're this. And it's such a binary way of thinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it keeps people from genuinely expressing how they want, want to express themselves and how, what's true to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I love that you're kind of like breaking, breaking down the assumptions and breaking down this binary of like, no, like regard, like in celebration of one's identity, one can dress however they want, whenever they want. And it doesn't have to only be one way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I also think it's connected to, to like 
being a fat person too. Like there are some things that I just can't wear, not because society tells me that I can't, but like, it's just physically uncomfortable mm. um, or just not able to do that. And so to, ex- so it does affect gender expression in certain ways. Cause there's things that are just not available to me in the same way or certain outfits are just like, that's just not going to work. And um, a friend of mine who's also like, um, a fat femme has this whole hashtag of like fems and sneakers. Cause she's mm. like, I can't be doing the high heels. Like that doesn't work for me. And so this shifting our ideas of like what femininity is and what femme identity is and comfort and fashion all together. I love that. Um, I love that shifting of shifting of the narrative and shifting of the definitions Um it's so empowering. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, so let's let's talk about fat activism. Sure. Um, so you are on a podcast called Matter of Fat. Yeah. Um, and so I I would love to just hear from you. Um, what does fat activism mean to you, and how did you get? Like, how does that how did that become part of who you are? And just anything else that you want to share with me and our mm-hmm. listeners about fat activism. Sure. I mean, I would definitely say that I'm still like early on in my, um, my journey around that. Um, mostly because I haven't taught, um, on that. Um, and as the, someone who is like an educator and facilitator, I feel like that is a, that's often a helpful marker for me that like, okay, if I'm, if I'm comfortable enough to like share this information in a more formal way, then I feel like, yes, it's like part of my every day so I'm still like learning on that a mature oak if you will yes Uh yes (laughs) very nice I see um so um I I was always a fat kid um I was my parents are fat from like fat family um my sister's fat and um and my mom was really like kind of open about it and like fun there were some things that we weren't we were we were told that we shouldn't do uh like wear tight clothes or wear certain types of clothes but I still think with those little things sprinkled in there was also like a lot of fun and understanding that like this is just our body and this is who we are and that's okay um and and also knowing that from my peer group, it was not okay. And so I was like horribly bullied, um, especially in middle school, which caused me to switch schools. Um, mm. And so that was like a big part of my growing up that like, it's not okay. If you're a girl who's fat, that's like not okay. That like boys can kind of be fat, but girls can't be fat. Um And so that was, it just like stuck with me for a long time. And there are certain decisions that I made as a fat girl that I don't think I would make now or like felt forced to make them both socially and like early like sexual experiences that were just like, I were not, it didn't feel consensual. It just felt like survival kind of Mm. uh, social survival. And so um, that was always like a part of my life. And I, understood it but I didn't really think about the impact of that until probably like later on in my time in New York where um 
there was just more conversation about accessibility and how do we create spaces that are more accessible. And in New York, it can be really tough just because it's an old city. Places often aren't accessible to folks that may have mobility issues. And um, and then we're thinking about when we're in activist spaces, oftentimes we're just taking whatever space we get for our organizing meeting or um, that, okay, we'll just do whatever. And often it means like sitting on the floor or being in a cramped space, or we only have these couple chairs and like, you know, the chairs I'm talking about that are like so flimsy that are like, is this the day I'm going to break a chair? You know, like mm, things yeah. like that. So it started to become more on my conscience. Um, just thinking about that. Um, as I was leaving New York. And then when I moved to Minneapolis, I got really involved in this really cool group that was this like, um, like fat twin cities Facebook group. And there were gatherings and it was really social justice oriented. So it was like this intersectional space to talk about fat activism and visibility and just friendship and community as well. And so the, some of the folks who were um, part of that group started the matter of fat podcast. So, um, and then also out of that came this really great uh, consignment shop called cake in the twin cities. You should check them out. Cake plus size. Um, And it just brought more things to light for me that like, Oh, I should be really thinking about this. And, you know, the things that I just, dealt with like feeling uncomfortable in certain chairs or like not asking for what I needed or just um, made more sense to say, oh, actually I do need this in order to be present at this workshop or to be present at work. I need a comfortable place to sit um, or going to certain restaurants or like just shifting the way I was thinking about that and making it more on the front of my mind than just something that I was kind of ashamed of. Mm. Um, but I think there is just more and more people that are talking about it. And, um, there are some really cool, like fat liberation folks talking about this. I mean, it's, it's not new, uh, now, I mean, this has been decades. Folks have been, um, having these conversations, but it's been, it's been newer for me and it's been particularly new for me to integrate into my teaching that to have these conversations in queer spaces or as a queer facilitator um, saying that I also am fat and like, that's part of my identity is also new to probably in the past like year or so, depending on the group. Mm. Have you, have you, um, when you, as you started sharing that piece of your identity in like intros or depending on the group, has there been any kind of response to it? Yeah, I mean, I would say that most of the time there's not a response to it. Um, It's just an identifier and folks aren't necessarily responding to it. Um, Sometimes if there's other folks that also identify with that language, they're like, oh, hey, like talk to you after or like, hey, I'm so glad you brought that in or blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like I was very lucky in surrounding myself with friends that were already on board with some of that. Um, And there's just been some incredible writing that's been happening over the past few years that are sort of dispelling 
certain myths around like body size and health and like the BMI as junk science and just to plug for maintenance phase podcasts. They're like amazing. And they talk all about different, different like health fads and kind of the history of those. Um, and, um, so I've been sharing more and more stuff like that to let people know that this is connected with my own politics or my own learning and wanting people in my circle to also understand that. Um, because it does come up, you know, like I was very lucky that in New York, I don't, I didn't ever feel, feel like people were trying to tell me that I should look different or be different or act different. Um, but when I first moved back to Minneapolis and I was working in an office with um, folks, women of a certain age, there is a lot of body talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of, oh, I shouldn't eat that, or, um, oh, I couldn't possibly, or like, um, just a lot of shame around what people were eating and not eating. And um, I didn't experience that for like most of my 20s. And so it was very jarring when I came back into it. And so for some people, that's just what they hear every day. And um, it was a real stark contrast. And when I started saying, Hey, can we just chill out on the body talk? I did get a lot of negative reaction to that at that job in particular, um, that folks didn't think it was bad what they were saying, or didn't think that it was harmful. Um, we also know that, you know, folks who have history with disordered eating, um, that if we bring, bringing those things up can be triggering or re-traumatizing especially in the workplace yeah um so it it was just a i i haven't had the most success in that regard in in some of those conversations at work but i i do think that there is real value in figuring out how do we how do we create an environment for people of all bodies to feel comfortable, especially in queer spaces where we're really doing that already. We're trying to do that already. And how do we mm-hmm. extend that? Oh, and also in Jewish community, there's this awesome um, rabbi who started Fat Torah, who's doing that too, who's talking about how we need to be really thinking about this in Jewish community. Um, so both in the conversations that we have and the spaces that we create. So um, there's a lot of intersections there. Yeah. It's so, a lot of things are striking me as you're talking about all of this. And the one that keeps popping up is like you, you kind of um, calling people in, in a moment of like this, this kind of talk is harmful and then being met with resistance and like Mm -hmm. discomfort and people not wanting to hear that what they're saying is harmful Mm -hmm. um, because it's also triggering them in certain ways, could could, not potentially Mm -hmm. be triggering them in certain ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's also reminding me of the conversations that you and I teach about and facilitate about at Keshet too, of like, when someone tells you, you know, and asserts a need to you, Mm -hmm. um, how do you, how do you respond? And Mm -hmm whose needs are we centering and mm-hmm. why are we centering those needs? It all just, it's so connected mm-hmm. and how our past experiences too influence how we respond in the moment. Totally. Totally. Exactly. And it's like, it's so layered too. Yeah. Um, especially for 
if we if we haven't talked about it or if we have never talked about something like this, it can feel like it's coming from a very hurtful area mm-hmm. or a place to hold. Yeah. So speaking of working together, we work together. <laughs> we work together. Can you believe it? Almost oh, four years. That's so long. It's like yeah. so incredible. And so I like love working with you and I've learned so much from you and oh. I get such a high when we get to facilitate together. Honestly. Yeah. It's a really great match. We are two peas. And for those of you <laughs> who none of you can see us, we're holding up our fingers as if we're peas. Um, no, that's what that really <laughs> I don't is. either, but it's fine. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, you mentioned this in your email, but I also think about it often. So Emily and I co-facilitated, mostly it was just Emily and I was there for support, uh, uh, a big day-long summit in New York City. So A, it was so awesome to have you back in town. And two, to get to like, we were in person together. It was like one of the mm-hmm. last in-person trainings I got to do. Oh, yeah. And we were just like on a roll. We mm-hmm. were hilarious. Mm-hmm you know, like feeding off each other. We mm-hmm. did dance. We did dance numbers. <laughs> <laughs> so much, so much happened in that JCC auditorium. So much happened. <laughs> um, and all of this is to say you have a new job. I do and have I'm a new job. So thrilled for you. Tell us what it is. Yes. Um, uh, well, before I do that, I just, I just want to re- remind everyone because they all weren't there <laughs> of this yeah. do didn't we do like because we had mics yeah. for that presentation mm. mm-hmm. and we did while people were working in their small groups like putting some things together we just you know we had checked on everyone made sure everybody was making their progress and then we we're like well we'll just take advantage of these yeah. <laughs> and so we did like a duet of like was it like a whole new world or like mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> like you know just like letting everybody know and then the few that were there in person that got to see it you know it's a really it was a really special performance that really can't be recreated probably it's just like all those elements were aligned so yeah very special really <laughs> <laughs> so the special. things that you can do in those moments uh but yeah i i just want to 100 percent like agree with you that i think our facilitation sc- styles complement each other really well and um i think there's a lot of trust in that facilitation so that absolutely can bring certain things in and um when things get tough call on the other one to like hey would you take this you know Mm -hmm. so I just I I want to let the world know that I also very much appreciate you and learned a ton from you as well and you know it's not it's not goodbye it's we'll work together on another thing I can't wait for that thing and I also can't wait for karaoke and also how did how did how did we not realize in that moment like hand us a microphone and regardless of the setting, we're going to sing you a song. <laughs> Even if it's a professional right. training, exactly. we're exactly. going to sing you a song. <laughs> um, are you there? You might be a little bit frozen in this moment. Yes, I am here. Okay, can good. Can you hear me? Yes, now I can. Okay, so we've now had a little love fest. Okay, so tell us everything about this new job that I'm so thrilled for you about. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Okay, um, so I 
just accepted a position as an assistant faculty member at the School of Social Work at University of Denver in Colorado. Oh, yeah. Um, and so I don't know if I've been my bio or whatever, but I'm a social worker. I've been a social worker for over 10 years. And um, my I've every job that I've had up until now has been a job that hasn't technically required a social work degree that, you know, I've been an educator, sex educator, facilitator, program manager, all of the stuff that like, obviously like having a social work background is helpful, but it hasn't been a requirement. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it, oh, I've had this goal of my, that it would be really great to work at a social work school and uh, specifically support students in their field placements and um, getting them connected with internships that are supportive and um, are great learning environments because the way that the social work, a master's of social work and also a BSW too is framed is that like half of your time is in class and then like half of your time is in an internship. So you're learning on the ground, you're applying the concepts that you're learning in class to an in-person or, you know, at this time, virtual, mm-hmm. <laughs> virtual internship. Um, so that has always been a goal of mine to bring my experiences into that. And I am just so, so excited to be working at University of Denver. And um, it's also a big move, you know, like moving to Colorado, we're leaving Minneapolis, Jenna's excited to be closer to Portland, where she grew up in these like beautiful mountains and being in a space that has sunshine 300 plus days a year, which is like, so different (laughs) from Minneapolis and our tough winters. I really became a baby about winter when I moved back here. I was like, Mm. no, thank you. Um, but like the negative 40 for like several days is like not great. Um, but yeah, so it's, I'll be on faculty there, which is so incredible. And the experience of um, working on a large team, supporting the new, the next generation of social workers and just being in a space that's constantly moving and changing and supporting um the newest initiatives for community engagement and mental health and, and awareness is so exciting for me. And it's also, I haven't worked, it'll be like six, seven years. I've worked in Jewish organizations and this will be, this also be a change you know, yeah. to working in the Jewish world. So um, a lot of newness. Yeah. How exciting. And I'm just so thrilled for you. And also like Colorado, (laughs) Denver, it's going to be so amazing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, would love to connect with other folks in the Colorado, Denver area. Um, Looking for, looking for community there for sure. Yeah. have some people, but want to connect. So how are you feeling about moving from the Jewish world to the not Jewish world? Well, um, I, this year, high, high holidays are very early Mm -hmm. and I think I've, you know, when you work at a Jewish organization, you have a lot of space to observe a variety of important 
holidays throughout the year. And it's just understood and expected. And even if you aren't particularly observant or religious, you still have that time for reflection or using, using those days off in whatever way you see fit. So um, I think this will be a challenge. Um, I know that um, higher education is usually pretty flexible on certain things, but also dating an academic, knowing that things really ramp up at the beginning of the fall. Yeah. And um, that is when we have some of our most significant holidays. And so I'm used to seeing that time as reflective, starting anew, having an opportunity to be in community and do ritual and other people are doing the same or sort of. Mm -hmm. And so it'll be interesting to be like also trying to do that at the same time as also like ramping up and getting used to um, this new environment and new process and colleagues and all of that. So um, I'm still early on in the, in the process, so I don't exactly know how it will shake out, but yeah. um, And I also think, you know, we are professional queer Jews, you know, we've been working, we've been representing like that community in so many ways. And sometimes we can't a hundred percent be ourselves because we're representing something or we're, um, we're in a, there's a lot riding on what we're saying potentially. Um, And there's other, there's other individual pieces that can be challenging but also really great you're infiltrating a a community that you're a part of and so I'm excited to bring my background expertise and skills to an environment that wants to hear more about that um and um and also there's like plenty of Jews in Denver and I would be happy to continue my work in in that way there too in an ad hoc fashion so um yeah, absolutely. Are you bringing Goldie Honda? Oh, Goldie Honda is my car. <laughs> she is a um, a gold Honda, as you can imagine. Anyway, she is the best. <laughs> I, you know, we we really want to get a four-wheel drive vehicle, especially mm. when we're going to be in Colorado. So she probably will make the trek with me um, to Colorado, but maybe not long-term we might need to hand her off to the next lovely lovely family (laughs) once Mm -hmm. we get there um but yeah she's doing great she is you know what a trooper yeah she's she's doing great she's the best she's the best grandma car i'm like obsessed with goldie honda so (laughs) (laughs) just i'm i'm happy to hear that she's doing well and that she might yeah she's doing great like you know at least company you in this big transition in your life. That's right. Like a security blankie, mm-hmm. but a car. Totally. Yes. Well, and just a shout out to my friend, Nat, who came up with that name when I was trying to name, name her when I first got her five years ago. Nat. Um, great work. Nice work, Nat. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, yeah. So, but also like I've talked with my therapist about this and she is going to still, um, do some sessions with me as a, as a transfer while I'm, you know, and before, until I get a new therapist out there. So, um, it's just nice to be able to have those like transitional moments to kind of keep some things the same, you know? Yeah. 
can I ask a question about that? Therapy? Yes. Yeah, but more specifically, uh, well, I had therapy this morning and I'm like a new human. I love therapy. I love therapy. Everyone needs it. It's healthcare. Everybody needs therapy. Everyone do every, it. Every single person. Um, and I wish for everyone to have access to it. Yes, um, absolutely. It universal so healthcare. Inaccessible. Yes, universal healthcare. Yes. Let's go, people. That's my shirt today. Healthcare oh. for everyone. Oh my everyone. God, it really is. Yeah. Yes, for everybody. Yes. Um, Cal and Lord. Beautiful. Sorry. I love that. No, <laughs> no, sorry's only yes, only yeses. Um, sidebar: I went to Cal and Lord for an OBGYN appointment, and this mm-hmm. was the first time doing that. And mm-hmm. I, okay, so any other time I've ever gone to an OBGYN, it's been at at like a university or a private mm-hmm. practice, and it's mm-hmm. I'm constantly misgendered. Mm-hmm. All of the like. Uh, posters on the wall are about Mm -hmm. women's health Mm -hmm. and just like the least inclusive space ever Mm -hmm. and going to Cal and Lord it was the exact opposite of that and it was all consent based and like I'm gonna is it okay if I you know touch you here and just like I need to go here like very communicative and um, inclusive Mm -hmm. and in the moment it didn't strike me because it was like basic human decency and like how we need to (laughs) have every interaction yes but when I left I was like oh my god I'm not anxious I'm not having a panic attack I'm Mm -hmm. regulated and I was like oh because that that experience was like how it should Mm -hmm. always be so shout out to Callan Lord (laughs) seriously shout out to Callan Lord and all of the like body pause lgbtq focused community health centers like i just went for my annual exam at family tree clinic in minute in the twin cities love family yeah. tree clinic. same same vibe and also it kind of goes back to the like um when we were talking about accessibility and like body size and stuff like they're like an explicitly like Hayes focus so h-a-e-s health at every size and Mm. so everybody has been trained on like kind of supportive medical practice for folks in larger bodies and they had a chair that was like a very comfortable larger chair and I was like what this is the most comfortable chair I've ever sat in in like a work in like a exam room like it's so nice so um there's ways to do it like there are ways to do it. And yeah. um, once you experience it, you're like, what? Mm-hmm. We could have had it this way. So um, really um, there's options. There's options out there. There's options. Yeah. Um, oh, I just forgot what I was going to say. Oh, Sorry. whenever I go to the doctor and they're mm-hmm. like, step on the scale. And I was like, why do you need to oh. know this? And usually it's like, they don't. And then I say, I, re- I refuse usually. Cause mm-hmm. it's like this, there's mm-hmm. no point to this. Yeah. There was one time where I was like, I, I asked them, they're like, well, you're going to have anesthesia. And so we need to know how much oh. medicine to give you. And I was like, I'll allow it. Yes. <laughs> but other than that, like I'm getting my ear checked. You don't need to know mm-hmm. how much I weigh. <laughs> yeah. And you can, and a lot of people don't know that you can always refuse. You can say, yeah, yeah I don't actually want to do that, but yeah. it's hard when you're at the doctor, when you're like, uh, this person is a professional, right? what am I supposed to do? So yes, you can, al- you can always say, I'd rather not. Thank you. Yes. And once but I appear- learned you could do that every time. Mm-hmm. Also, apparently I grew an inch, you know, they did Ta- the height. What? I don't know if it's actually true. Like now I'm five, four or something. I don't know <laughs> what happened. 
Jen. Sorry, Jen. We're the same height now. Whoa. Um, but I don't, I don't know if that was accurate or not. I had a very sweet person who was um, my was doing my vitals and stuff. And they said that it was like their first day. And I was like, I got you. I'm the best first patient you'll ever totally. have. I'm like, absolutely. So supportive. You're doing great. I'm really patient. I'm not in the hurry to get anywhere. So just like, do your thing. <laughs> you know. And now you're an inch taller. So congrats. That's right. So, and that was my gift. That was yes. the gift that they gave to me that because I was such a good patient, I grew an inch. So, <laughs> I'm yeah. coming to that. <laughs> Seriously. I need an inch yeah. or two. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, yeah. But my, so my original question was about therapy and then we got on oh, a, yeah, a beautiful <laughs> tangent. No, 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 no apologies. Um, is there, is there a reason why you can't continue with your therapist uh, like virtually or, or, and or on the phone? Yeah, most of the time, um, therapists who, if you're a social worker, I don't know how it works for psychologists or marriage and family therapists, but for social workers, you're only licensed in one state. And mm. so if you're seeing some, it, it changed during the pandemic where it was just like, don't worry, everybody's going to get covered. Your reimbursement won't change. Um, but you're, you're really only allowed to see clients in the state that you're licensed. Like, I have a friend who is moving with their partner to Boston, but they're licensed in Minnesota. So they're going to continue doing telehealth for their clients in Minnesota because they're licensed there, uh, mm. but they are not allowed to do in-person therapy for folks in Boston unless they change or transfer their license. Um, so that that's usually the, the case um, unless right. somebody is licensed in multiple States, but I, I don't, I think only lawyers are able to be, have the be past their bar or whatever in multiple states. I don't know if they're, I could totally be wrong on pharmacists this, can my dad's ah. licensed in a few states. Oh, great. Okay. So pharmacists and lawyers, there you All go. Right, there you go. But yeah, so that's why, but usually um, some therapists will like f- try their best to continue to support you during a transition if they mm. can. Um, Got it. But um, well, speaking of transitions, I absolutely do not want to do this, but I have to transition us into our last segment. Oh. I know, but more <laughs> more conversations to come. Yes, yes. Um, so this is our lightning round. And mm. season one and two, the questions were binary. And I was mm. lovingly called in uh, to <laughs> tell me as such. Mm. So these are all open-ended except one. Mm. So answer as best you can, as quickly as you can. And there are no right or wrong, really, except for the last one. But it's all in, all in good fun. <laughs> um, if you could name your own crayon, what would you name it? Oh, my God. Magenta Fuchsia Explosion. Oh, love it. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Favorite time of day? Mm. Um, I think dusk. Mm. Favorite current queer media representation? Oh gosh. There are so many. I mean, I love Alok, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I think I'll go with Alok for this one. Beautiful. Um, have you read their book? Yes, I do have their book. I just yeah, it's like the best like pick it up, know everything, you're a hundred percent amazing like after a few, a few short, short moments. Yes, yep, absolutely. Uh, it's in your packet. It sure does. 
Um, <laughs> a song that makes your heart sore. <gasps> oh. oh my gosh. Okay, this is not normally my brand, but I just love um, in Frozen 2, the song that Elsa sings when she's arriving at like the the ice palacey thing where she's like um something is familiar da, 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 da. anyway it just like makes me cry because it's like i'm looking for something i'm looking for someone but actually i'm looking for me oh and I found me and i'm and i'm the one i've been looking for i just got i literally just got goosebumps like thinking about it I went on a road trip recently and I listened to <laughs> the soundtrack and I'm just like literally on like an Illinois like highway, just like sobbing to that song. And I made myself listen to it like four times so I could just get all the tears out. So I highly uh, recommend. Okay. So full disclosure, I've not seen Frozen 2, so I don't know this song. It's way better than the, set in the first one. Oh my God. It's like indigenous representation, uh, like white accountability. It's like incredible okay so that's sister's love prioritizing magic love all of that and also Mm -hmm. that song is literally i don't know it but i already know it's my favorite song (laughs) like you love it it also i'll send it to you after yes please (laughs) do and also like one time i was but when i was still drinking i was on the train and i was listening i was like so hammered and i was listening to hero by mariah carey (laughs) yeah and like i was like this song's about we're our own heroes. And I was like bawling on the train. I was like, how did I never know this before these yes. decades of listening to this song? And it hit me and I was like, I'm my own hero. Yes. <laughs> yes. Honestly, I do really appreciate that about like the way that some Disney films have shit. Like I didn't feel that way about the songs, the ones that we grew up with. It was just like not emotional but like the 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 writing the lyrics now feel like we're trying to send a message to kids Mm -hmm. especially around mental health especially about um self-esteem and discovery and connection and friendship and love and that just great job everyone great job everyone at disney i will say that the the soundtrack from mulan uh was very emotional and meaningful for me of like seeing a reflection of myself and mm. also like I'll never be the person you want me to be oh so, god you know <laughs> so. I know someone in the live action one. Oh, cool. I went to high school with someone who's in the live action one so claim to fame cool. amazing nice work everyone um okay favorite way to travel Ooh, if I'm not in a hurry I really like taking the train mm. but more likely more more so in Europe though I I think you can in Europe. Okay. Favorite quote. Oh. There the Audre Lorde quote about um, self-care like self-care is gosh, what is it? It's like self-care is caring for myself and shoot I like have to look it up because it's so good but the essentially it's like self-care isn't an option like it just is um so oh yeah self-care is oh yeah caring for myself is not self-indulgent 
it is self-preservation and this is an act of political warfare. Mm. I'll, I'll say it again. Caring for myself is not self-indulgent. It is self-preservation. And that is an act of political warfare. Wow. That's great. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you looked it up. Yeah. I want to make sure her words are correct. Yeah, for sure. All right. Moment of truth. Bagels or donuts? Whoa. Those two? I Comparing know. those two? Why those two? Savory and salt? Savory and sweet? I know. Well, I mean, it's so relative because there's only, there are a lot of bad bagels in the world and there are a lot of bad donuts in the world. Yeah, truth. So if I'm comparing like the most delicious donut to the most delicious bagel, so is there stuff on the bagel or is it just like? However you interpret it. Dubs. I know. Mm. Okay. If we're talking about like the Peter Pan donuts in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, like the blueberry and cream one, mm-hmm. which is like top notch, highly recommend, or like a whole wheat everything bagel from Brooklyn, New York, with egg, tomato, cheddar, salt, and pepper. Mm-hmm. So we're talking my, the best of the best in both. Like categories. my go- this is my like go to. I mean, I am a savory person. Like I love savory. Mm-hmm. Like I gotta end on a savory note, you know. Yep. So I probably am gonna choose the bagel, but it depends. Like if it's in the middle of afternoon and I just want like a little nice treat, I'm gonna pick the donut. Not mm-hmm. in the morning. Yeah, that's the only thing I can be sure about. Sorry, I didn't really answer. Yeah, it's like a non-answer, but also it's a very hard question. Yeah, that is yeah. a very complex one. Yep. You know, and I've had people who are gluten-free on here who's like, this isn't representative oh, yeah. of me. And yeah, that's also true. That. And But mm-hmm. there are gluten-free bagels. There are gluten-free donuts. That's right. Um, but it's never my intention to make anyone feel like they don't belong in a space. <laughs> So anyways, um, thanks for playing along. Emily, I love this conversation so much. So great. So, Hopefully. so fun. I love our our rapport, our banter. Rapport. Rapport. Um, mm-hmm. So how can people, like, is there anything to plug, anything other than what we've already talked about? How can we get in touch with you if we want to hire you to facilitate a training for us? Because we obviously want to. Amazing. Well, I have a very outdated, but soon to be updated by my friends um, are working on it right now. Uh, my website, which is emilyashersaltzman.com. E-M-I-L-Y-A-S-H-E-R-S-A-L-T-Z-M-A-N.com. Uh, so you can check me out there. Um, most of my social media is private. I do have Twitter, but I don't really post on Twitter. Um, it's I think it's salts and pepper is my, is my mm. Twitter handle. Um, Creative. Yeah. It's pretty fun. But um, I unfortunately don't have a cool social media brand or presence, but the website is the best way to, I guess, learn about me. Great. Everyone go to Emily's website. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> thanks so much for being here. You're wonderful. Yes. Thanks so much for asking. Yes. And thank you for coming out. You got it. Thank you for coming out. Hey, everyone. It's your host, Dubs Weinblatt. Thank you so much for listening with an open heart and an open mind. 
If you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, please do so so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to rate and review us. It really helps. And we want to hear from you. We want to know your coming out story. Head on over to Thank You For Coming Out's Instagram page, at Thank You For Coming Out, and click the link in our bio. There's a form there where you can submit your coming out story, either anonymously or with your name. And you could have the chance to hear your story read out on the Thank You For Coming Out podcast. We're so happy that you're part of our community, and we want you to know that your story matters. Thank you for coming out.